Hello, and welcome to the Box in One podcast, a podcast discussing sports and culture through the lens of the gospel. My name is John Richards, and I'm your co-host today, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Chris Lassiter and Jeremy Hartman. Welcome to the Box in One podcast. This is episode 14, 14, wow, where we discuss Christ's sports and culture through the lens of of the gospel. And I'm here today with my co-host, Chris Lassiter and what Jay up? Hart, Jeremy Hartman. What up, man? And we're what up, just, fellas? We're just kicking it. And wow, this has been an amazing week this week in the area of Christ sports and culture. And we had a tough time drilling our topics down, but we have them tonight. And we think you guys are going to enjoy this particular episode. So let's go ahead and dive right in. First up, we're going to be talking about a Gospel Coalition article that was released on August the 8th of this week. And it actually was pulled a couple of days later. But let's get let's get some context here. So a mother-in-law by the name of Gay Clark wrote an article and it was entitled when God sends your white daughter a black husband. Now, whenever you want an article to be read, you might want to give it a title just like that. But because of said title and because of the content of that article, she didn't realize the, um, I don't know how to put this, but how black Christian Twitter would respond to not only the article title but also the article content. Now let me just say <laughs> let me just say this, okay? I think that her heart was in the right place. And just reading through the article after looking at the title and being shocked and having that sticker shock initially, I think she was she was going in the right direction, but I think that some of the black Christian Twitter verse pointed out some shortcomings in the article. So she actually asked a couple of days later for that article to be pulled and TGC did pull it. And then they included a conversation with three African-American leaders, including a TGC editor, the uh, president of RAN and a pastor, a black pastor. So they tried to also uh, bring other voices into that conversation, but it opened up this larger dialogue about what she may have done right in in terms of speaking from a place of white privilege. How do you approach this issue of race where her son-in-law is African-American and she's really trying to process that and say, hey, this is where I was before, but because of his presence in my life, He's caused me to rethink where I, where, I, where I was on race. Now, one side of the fence is because of all the pushback, a lot of white evangelicals are going to be like, nope, not sticking my neck out there anymore. And that's the last thing I think some people want. But I'm, I'm just curious uh, what you guys think. I know, Chris, you're in an interracial marriage, and it'd be good to kind of get your perspective on this and Jeremy Hartman, you know, you all mix your mixed bag over there as well. So it'll be good to get both of you guys perspective on this. What do y'all think? 
Yeah, I guess I'll, uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll jump in first. Um, <clears throat> I think there are just some unique aspects. We didn't realize how much the gospel needed to speak to us with even within our marriage on like being an interracial marriage. So that was like the first one, like the first aspect that the gospel had to speak to was just Emily and I. I remember having a conversation. Uh, Hartman and I drove our kids about eight hours to Louisville, Kentucky for the Lego convention. Uh, early years in our marriage and our wives would make chicken and before we even tasted it we would just automatically season it how we thought it should be seasoned not even giving the chicken a chance just with that assumption that like yeah that didn't come from my cultural background so let me fix it the way I think it should be and our wives would get really mad <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't realize like why our wives were getting mad so, I mean, not only was it that inside of the relationship, but then you start talking about outside and like how people view it. I remember um, we went to Baltimore to hear Mace, after he had had his conversion, um, speak on a campus. And just, it was very uncomfortable. Just the looks that my wife got, my wife who was white, got from other um, black women. Now, my wife has spent a lot of time in black culture, but like she doesn't get to bring <clears throat> any of that with her when people are meeting her from the first time. They're just making assumptions about her. And I just remember how uncomfortable that was for her. And then just as I watch how much of the racial tension goes on inside of um, the church, I wonder how much of it reflects to like just this idea of we don't want the race is mixing as far as marriage and we don't want the gospel to speak to that. We, we want to hold that very closely. That's kind of our, our golden calf thing that we want to hold on to. And I remember, um, I think I would forget it was one of the trip brothers who was a speaker and he said, I'd rather have my daughter wear marry like a godly black man than a pagan white man. And he said, just a bunch of the people got up in the room in the conference and left the conference and he was shocked. And it may not have been one of the trip brothers, but I was, I'm almost thinking that it was. <clears throat> and that just having a profound impact on me, like just thinking like, man, this is still like a hot button, hot button issue um, for people. So as far as the article goes, I kind of land, I see both sides, but I kind of land with the people like, ultimately I felt like her heart was in the right place. Like definitely like it could have been worded a lot better. And I can feel, I feel when people say that makes me feel some type of way, like, like being a black person, being married to a black person is something that you have to get over. Like what's so wrong with us that we're something to get over? Like, I definitely understand that. But what I thought she was doing was trying to minister grace to people and help us take a step forward. And what I really hope is it doesn't shut that conversation down and that white people won't stop start just out of fear saying like I refuse to engage because look what you guys do black Christian Twitter is not coming for me so that's kind of where I land on all of it that's what's up man this dude went he said Lego chicken and mace in the same conversation that's why I love <laughs> C last man that's awesome <laughs> awesome what's up Jay well you know it's it's interesting um, because growing up where I did in rural West Virginia, um, being of mixed race, 
You know, my mom is black. My dad is white. Um, and this is something that still bothers me to this day because there were young ladies who I was under no impression that I was going to marry at 15 or 16 years old who were white and who were supposedly, quote unquote, in the church. Um, but I, I distinctly remember one young lady saying um, her pastor said that interracial marriage was um, was scripturally not supposed to happen. And the context, the context that was used was the Tower of Babel. So that's kind of how that whole thing got. And I was like, that doesn't even like the I'm, even at 16, I was more theologically aware that the Tower of Babel had nothing to do with interracial marriage. Uh, but that was the context that was used and that stuck with me. And a lot of people in my hometown, you know, agree with that. And to this day still agree with it. And that young lady, um, I would imagine probably still agree, still would agree with that. But, you know, I, I think the woman was trying to do the right thing. I don't think she was doing it with malice. Um, and I think sometimes we we've got to really put our feelings aside and stop feeling some type of way, because the only way there's any kind of reconciliation or any kind of discussion is if people don't get feelings real quick. Like it's a hot button topic anyway, like anything involving race is hot button. So like, you know, going in like, OK, I'm gonna have to keep my cool and just really listen to what the person is trying to say. And I don't think she was trying to do it in a malicious way. I think she really was trying to open dialogue. And it's unfortunate that people come at her neck like, yo, why are you saying this? But I think what she was really trying to say was, hey, you know, let's talk about this because I'm not coming from the background that you're coming from and as, as an African-American. I don't know. I have these, you know, misconceptions Shout out to Lecrae, church clothes. Um, I think she was just trying to open that dialogue. And now I'm hoping that it's not shut down. Um, and that's where I kind of struggle because I'm like. He opened the dialogue. Well, you know, and I kind of struggle because like black folks don't get mad and be like, yo, we can't have no discussion about this. Everybody got to be ignorant. But if we're being ignorant because she's trying to open the discussion, like there's never any kind of any kind of healing, any kind of restoration that goes on there. Um, and I think in this context, like you've got to really put yourself aside and look at, at what a person is really trying to convey. And unfortunately, I don't think this came off as well as she would hope. And again, I'm like you, Chris, I hope it doesn't shut, shut it down totally. Cause I think we need to have real conversations about it. I'll add this, yo. Um, one, she had her son-in-law read it, and other black people read the article before TGC posted it. I still think, um, I mean, she's a writer, um, so I don't mind there being like some critique as a writer, you know what I'm saying? But we can't keep pushing for the Imago Day in us and then try to crush it in other people. So I just want to make sure like, if we do have like things that we are like bothered about by the article, like, we're not crushing people. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can say, hey, like, you do realize this kind of came off this way. Like, I'm fine with that conversation. 
but like I'm not trying to crush people. And I did at her on Twitter and just say, hey, we're standing with you and all this. There's grace for us all, you know. Um, so that's just how I took. Jay Rich, what about your thoughts, fam? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing that really got to me just seeing this one tweet from her. And it was talking about her wanting to um, have TGC remove the article. And she said, I am profoundly grieved over the hurt and harm it has caused. And I will cover your prayers. And my response to that is it really hasn't. And I think the BD talked about this in his article. It really hasn't caused more hurt than it has caused conversation. And for us to ignore that elephant in the room when it comes to race and, and real feelings that some people may have, I mean, it really helps for me the process what other people think when someone brings someone home, like in a guess who's coming to dinner situation. You know what I mean? So just seeing that on on wax and having a gospel-centered approach to trying to approach it, and then next thing you know, you're up on Golgotha Hill being crucified by other Christians is something that really um, hurt me as someone who likes to foster dialogue and conversation. And I don't understand because if Trip Lee writes an article about why I married a white girl, I mean, that title seems a little bit visceral in terms of getting a response out of people. The content of the article is good. And anybody who blogs, anybody who is in the blogosphere knows that titles get clicks. So I could see if she wrote that and then she's talking about how she's a Bob Jones alum and she loves Bob Jones University and she don't understand why her daughter married a black man. Then, oh, man, we might have problems. But there was some redemptive. There was a redemptive nature to the article. Um, could she have said some other things better? Maybe. But I appreciated the fact that she was really transparent about it. And, you know, if black Christian Twitter was as transparent as we like to be or should be, then we'd know that we also have our own um, issues with race when it comes to seeing certain people um, marry other people. It happens, it happens across the board. So for someone to kind of wear their heart and their shoulder like that and to get the clap back from other brothers and sisters in the Lord, man, that really, really like, it stung me. So just praying for her, man. I'm glad you sent her a shout on Twitter. I'm not sure how much she's in the Twitter verse and how, how much she's even looking at messages now. Cause I, I, I read where she's getting like hate mail and letters from folks. And I'm just praying that this opens a conversation dialogue that, can help us to to heal some of those racial scars that are still there. Again, Bob Jones, as recently as 2000, had interracial relationships outlawed on campus. That's 16 years ago, dude. So it's out there, but I'm glad that she was able to articulate it in a way that had a lot of gospel in it. So I say I, I got expelled. <laughs> you sure would have. 
your wife, you and your wife would have been kicked out of school. Peace out. Seminary dropout mixtape. <laughs> not the <laughs> not the mixtape. Wow. Y'all would have had some half systematics. <laughs> All right, man, let's move on. We're going to talk about the United States and the Olympics happening in Rio. Besides the fact that it's real in these Rio streets, saw some videos of people getting jacked and robbed and all that good stuff. Be careful, folks, down there. We want to talk about basketball because we're all NBA fans. And we were shocked to look at the box score and look at the game yesterday and see that Australia was hanging with our boys from US bas- USA basketball yesterday all the way until Melo happened. Yes, Carmelo Anthony took over late in the game and beat Australia, beat my boy Patty Mills, even though he's not with the squad anymore. And Aaron Baines, Andrew Bogut, Delhi, who got them checks from Milwaukee. They had a pretty decent squad, but we didn't think that they'd give us a run like that. So what do you guys think about this Olympic team, man? We They were running through people early. But they ran into Australia this go-round. Are they going to have a tough time with France, with with other teams who have pretty decent squads? What do y'all think? Did y'all actually watch the game? I did not. All right. I watched it. I sat here and watched the entire game. And here are my thoughts. One, it may be a wake-up call. Um it looked like the United States was a bunch of guys who are used to isolation plays in the NBA, which they are. Um, Kevin Durant tried to ISO on the block so many times and in the NBA. That's a one-on-one matchup in FIBA international rules. He's getting double and triple teamed because they're just cheating in the paint. Um, and it, it looked like they could not adjust to that. Um, and I, I love KD as much as the next person, but I thought Coach K should have set his butt down because um, he was shooting them clear out of the game. I thought the defensive unit with Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, um, that crew actually is what got them back in the game. Um, and then down the stretch, you got two of the greatest one-on-one players in the world, Carmelo Anthony and Kyrie Irving, that just had to take over and do what they needed to do. but. You could tell the Aussies, the Boomers are um, used to playing together. They're used to international rules. Um, the ball kept moving. There was so much player movement. Uh, Patty Mills was running off screen after screen. Della Vadova was running off screen. I, I mean, it just, it was international ball, and it looked like from 2004 when Argentina beat us, and we couldn't figure out why we keep chasing, and they keep getting layups and open shots. Um, and I think a lot of that is, is that some of these guys aren't, they're so used to NBA style basketball, where if you cheat, it's illegal defense. That's not that way in FIBA. Um, there were a couple of times where DeAndre Jordan could have just knocked the ball off the rim and he didn't because in the NBA, that's a goaltend. So it looked a lot like they were struggling with rules, but it was also a situation where. I think they underestimated just how good the Aussies were and how well they play together. Um, down the stretch, 
it'll be interesting to see what happens with Coach K. I think the United States will be fine. I think they'll beat Serbia. I think they'll beat France. Um, but I'm not quite sure they really want to see the Aussies just yet in the medal round. But it was a good matchup. It made it entertaining. Um, it wasn't a 40-point blowout, so it was worth watching. So here's my thought. At the very beginning of the week, I was like, yo, can we talk about whether we're tired of seeing dream teams? I just hate games where we keep winning by 40 points. It's not entertaining, and I don't want to watch it. So for me, it was just good to see um, the Americans get tested and actually um, like have to dig down a little bit to pull out a win. If you like Golden State, that Kyrie shot was a little bit painful. And it just goes to reinforce that I think Melo might be the best player ever, ever in the NBA that has not made another person better. Like, I don't know who else goes on that list, but Melo's the he's the king of it. <laughs> king Melo. I never thought I would hear those words, but I, I have to agree with you on that. Look, Jay Hart, I'm really not trying to hear all that, man. Here's what I'm trying to hear. OK. You got the 12 of the best players in the world on a team. And zone or not, goaltending or not, y'all need to be beating people by 40. And, Chris, I ascribe to the rule, to that rule, okay? I don't want to see good games. I want to see the best players in the world crush the competition and crush them in a way that breaks their spirit, their souls, and causes them to go play another sport. The Aussies would have been playing boomerang or rugby, okay? Because they should have lost by at least 30, 35 points. Now, I understand that, you know, they have to make little adjustments. They should be on point right now. And I'm a little bit concerned by that. But if they get back to those 30-point wins, I think I think I'll be fine with this squad. Is this the best team that has ever done Team USA basketball uniforms, no. The women are much better this year, and they're playing much better basketball. And I just want to be able to see them play a couple more games before I make the assessment to see if they're beatable, quote-unquote. Because I think they'll in the medal round, if they play Australia again, they're probably beat them by 30. That's just, you know, the nature of things. We got the best basketball here, players in the world in the United States. Here's my thing. Like, for me, I love watching Olympians, like, that love to be Olympians and that know, like, this is their chance at stardom. And then we get to hear their backstories and learn it along the way. And it just takes something away from me personally when I already know all the stories of the players. And I think that's just the journalist in me. It just kind of gets bored because, oh, here's another year where it's the exact same thing. So maybe a team with half NBA and half college or somebody else on the team that just makes it a little bit more interesting, not just all NBA, not just like the NBA All-Star Game 2.0. So that's my thought. Save all that for March, okay, March, man. There's plenty of stories there. We don't need to hear all that right now. Now, for <laughs> here's a guy that you should know about, okay, who is just an Olympian, and you probably know his story because he's one of the most storied Olympians of all time. And he gave the most epic death stare the other day to one of his competitors from South Africa. And we're talking about none other than Michael Death Stare Phelps, your boy. Now, 
Got a question about Michael Phelps, okay? Because this this guy's been in the Olympics since probably about 1930. It seems in my mind, he's in every Olympics. But this year, he wasn't supposed to be epic Michael Phelps, but he's been doing things in the water that he's been doing for the past 12 or so years. So he's winning gold medals. He's staring people down. He's being Michael Phelps. Can we say at this point that Michael Phelps is probably the best Olympian of all time ever? You know, that's a big assumption to make. Um, if you go medal count, absolutely. I know there's a contingent out there that'll say Carl Lewis or Jesse Owens or, you know, there, I'm sure there's some gymnast that's dominated for a certain amount of time. Um, Bomani Jones swears that if, Bolt wins 100 and 200 again this year, then he'll be the greatest Olympian of all time. Um, I, I just think what Michael Phelps has done has been phenomenal. Uh, I think his growth as an athlete, maturity-wise, um, I think has been tremendous. I think fatherhood may have helped him a little bit. It's just I like watching good stories. I'm I, I get this American pride when I watch the Olympics. And I'm like, we must dominate. So whenever I can see Michael Phelps dominate, like, I love it. Anytime I see any of the women swimmers dominate, I love it. Um, and how great was the fact that old boy from South Africa was talking all that smack, was doing all that shadow boxing like he was going to get knocked out. And then when they got to the main event, he didn't even medal. Like, Michael Phelps just stared the hole through his whole game. And, like, he was done. He was like, uh, yeah, I ain't even going to tweet. I ain't even going to interview. I'm just going to go ahead and walk on over here. He going to cry in the car. Yeah, he going to cry. Yo. <laughs> All right, so listen, yo. I think he might be the most decorated, but I think I'm not sure I'd be willing to say he's the most important Olympic athlete ever, if that makes sense. Like, he's definitely been, like, the most, like, the wow factor. Like, how does he do this over such a long span? And look how dominant he's been in his sport. But for so many of those other games, so much was attached to it um, that I think their legacy is a little more important than what Phelps has done. But just off the grid for a second, if you guys were making memes of the Phelps face, what would you guys give the Phelps face to? Um, I think my two would be, uh, number one, just when somebody says something and it's so off theologically, uh, that would have that, that would cause me to go into the Phelps space pretty fast. And then the petty one would be when you go to a restaurant or um, something and they take your favorite item off the menu. And it was like really the only good thing at the restaurant. And they took it off the menu, and then you just kind of stuck there, like, yo, that joint is the worst. The uh, Giorno took the spicy chicken pizza <laughs> off. I don't know why they did that. I added them too on Twitter, but they never holler back at the boy. So, ain't nobody trying to eat no spicy chicken pizza. So, my, my felt place would probably be every Creflo Dollar sermon ever. And the, <laughs> the other part of it probably would be anytime Jay Hart. Brings up Kobe. <laughs> that, was hey, the, Jay. that was the quintessential Kobe reference for this episode. Yo, 
Didn't oh, your son geez. have a pair of Kobe's one time? My Man, son, my I son want... stayed with Kobe's on there. No, my son. Oh, your son had a pair of Kobe's. And let me tell you, my wife brought my son home with those Kobe's on. And I said, what are you doing, woman? We almost had a falling out. I said, do you know what those are? And here's the kicker, okay? He's a kindergartner, and they all had to wear shoes with, with the little Velcro straps. The Kobe's didn't have them. So we bought them for the school year, and he couldn't wear them to school. So I had him wear them, like, doing chores and stuff, just random stuff so he can tear them up really quickly and get them out of my house. <laughs> And that's my Kobe shoes story. Wow, Jay Hart, what'd you give him the Kobe face? What'd you give him the Phelps face to? Oh, this was an easy one. And if my wife ever listened to this, I might sleep on the couch for a couple nights, but it's worth it. Um, anytime I clean up the kitchen and the kitchen is spotless, and then she go back in the kitchen ten minutes later, when I walk back in, the kitchen's dirty again, and she's talking about, we need to clean up the kitchen. Nah, we don't need to clean it up. You need to clean it up. That's why I give the Phelps face to Jay Rich. Jay Rich. Do we, we don't need to do nothing. We got a what? We have a dump button. <laughs> nope. That's nope. going, that's going you, in. That you leave that. In. How comfortable is the couch, Jay Hart? Hey, I'm just saying. So, um, look, all I got to say about Phelps is 21 medals. We're not talking about pioneer. We're talking about just somebody who dominates the sport. You got 21 gold medals, gold medals. I think I'm gonna go with him. Like if you talk about Jackie, I'm not Jackie Robinson. What am I talking about? John Taylor, who's the first African American to win a gold medal in the Olympics in track and field, because that's what we do, right? Um, Jesse Owens, yeah, they're pioneers, but somebody to win 21 gold medals. Uh, I'm going with Phelps. Here's what we want to turn to, okay? And this is, we had like seven topics on this particular topic. And we decided to make it kind of a potluck and 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 think through a question that really, um, I mean, honestly, is kind of grieving, so to speak. So there have been at least six, seven different deaths that have been questionable over the past week or so. Um, at the hands of law enforcement, of African-American men. And on top of that, the Baltimore Police Department report came out on a death that occurred there um, last year that was very high profile. So here's the question, okay? And this is coming from African-American men um, just trying to process this. How in the world do we fight the soul fatigue that comes up when we just keep hearing about this over and over again. When we were talking about these topics and thinking through them, I was like, I don't know if I can talk about one of them because I'm just tired. I really am just tired. And that question came up and we decided that we wanted to ask that and kind of think through that and process that. So do you guys have any idea or any clue how we might be able to just to push through this? Because Right now, I'm just, that's the only way I can characterize it. Like, every time I hear about this, I'm tired, just flat out tired. My soul is tired. So what do you guys think, man? What, what's going on? One of the ways that just like, just to categorize, like, how do you know your soul is tired? Um, 
when you just kind of wake up in the morning and feel heavy, like you're just getting ready to start your day. Like really on a normal day, you get up and you say like, Hey, God's given me the gift of another day. Like, what can I do with it? Like, how can I express my gratitude to him by giving this day back to him in worship? And just on days where it just feels like there's a cloud over that, where um, your first thought may not be that you might wake up and just feel heavy. Like, man, um, if you see a name trending on Twitter and it's the first name and you're just scared that it's going to be like that they died some type of gruesome death that was caught on the video. And that's what your day is going to consist of, like learning more facts about that. And that was true so many times this week that it was almost like you almost want to do the flamenco, like just bury your head in the sand. Like, you know, what's happening, but not today, man. I just can't like, there's no more energy emotionally to deal with that today. I think um, one of the things that helped is just fighting for progress. Just with the group of guys, with my wife, she's huge on moving this conversation forward in a Christ exalting way. She's been a huge help. And just meeting with a couple of guys in my community, we met with the, um, some of the police staff um, just to have conversations and those things, just feeling like, hey, even in the midst of this, we're having the opportunity to take small steps forward has been kind of something that's kind of, I haven't lost all hope. And so that's helped. Yeah, I would say, it, you know, it's it becomes mentally exhausting and um, part of this, you know, I told you guys, I'd send you guys a text and just apologize because I had really been trying to disconnect from, you know, my phone and technology and social media, um, especially when I'm at home. And a part of that is just, it stems from the negativity, like, and it seems to be every day. And you're just like, when, when is it going to end? And you know, it's not going to end until Christ comes back. And, you know, it just, it wears on you. Um, and I, I stay in, in prayer for these things. I, I do, um, you know, do, you know, lay it before the Lord and like, Lord, like, how are we going to move forward? And, um, you know, just knowing that at some point he has to open those doors. And, you know, I pray that, you know, for each one of us, you know, there may be an opportunity where we're able to move conversations forward, where we're able to to make a difference in our communities. You know, Chris and I, we could work together on this, Jay Rich, but, you know, some people are halfway across the country, but we're going to leave that alone. Um, hey, Chicago, <laughs> Chicago, greater than Staunton. <laughs> hey, look, you're going to stop. You're going to stop offending our town. All right. We're just going to leave it right there. But um, you know, it is, it's just mentally exhausting, man. And, you know, it's sad. Um, I have family in Philadelphia and Baltimore and my folks in Baltimore are like, this is crazy. Um, and people that just straight up love Baltimore, like they don't even know what to do. And it's like, like rioting's not going to do any good. Marching's not going to do any good. And it's, you know, it's, we're just kind of at an impasse here. And I, I wonder, um, what more it's going to take, but man, like I, I, I try not to read the negativity because it just, my heart just sinks, kind of get that pit in your stomach. Um, and you don't even know what to do. It's like, what more can I do? Like, where can we go from here? So, 
the gospel is definitely more helpful than reading the comment section. So I amen that one, Hartman. Amen. Amen. So one of the things that one of the life groups at my church did um, over the past couple of weeks, which I thought was really cool, was, and it's a men's group, a group of African-American men. They invited an, a police officer to their life group to have a dialogue with them. And I thought that, that was really cool, really helpful, because it put them in the same space as opposed to having conversations around one another, but allowed them to have a conversation in a safe place that didn't have red lights behind them or having them pulled over and having a conversation about violating the law. But on the other hand, it was a conversation about how can we work together in order to help heal our nation and reconcile. So shout out to the champion men's breakfast that happens on Saturday mornings here in the Chicago area for doing that. And I, I really appreciate them and commend them for doing that. Um, I think it was a great idea. And I ran into the cop actually today and he, he mentioned that and I was like, Oh, that's really cool. Um, so, so good stuff, man. We want to move into our next segment now, which is, something that we call sorry we missed that and for you new folks to the podcast it's just a segment where we talk about stories where we might have missed many years ago and wish we had a podcast to talk about it and this one comes from my current or not my current i just finished this book uh this summer and it was jalen rose has got to give the people what what they want great book great read Dude's a great storyteller. He has plenty of stories from the NBA, but this one was the best, okay? Jalen Rose stole Patrick Ewan's television, okay? Here's how it happened. Apparently, after a game, the Knicks were getting ready to travel, and um, Jalen was at the same airport, and he saw a big old uh, crate with Patrick Ewan's name on it. It had a sticker on it that said Patrick Ewan. So he opened it up and it was a TV VCR combo. <laughs> Apparently, Patrick Ewing had to travel with this TV VCR combo so that he can look at game film. And your boy Jalen was very upset because apparently he got into it with some Knicks players because that's what they do. And he decided that he was going to steal Patrick Ewan's TV. He said, anyway, I can get the competitive advantage. Or if he's not going to, you know, put the next game, he's not going to be able to know who the opponent is. He said he took that TV home, put it on display. All his family came over, took pictures with it. I mean, it was hilarious. <laughs> the fact that he took this man's TV VCR combo and then, like, trolled him, man, and took pictures with the joint. That was great. He said it still had the Patrick Ewan sticker on it, too. So, and Jeff Van Gundy actually confirmed this story. Like, it wasn't something he made up. Van Gundy was like, yeah, the coaches made sure Patrick Ewing had a, a TV VCR combo, and it went missing. And years later, Jalen Rose tells them that I stole that man's TV. Jalen Rose is great. <laughs> it's great. How do you do that? That's just awesome. That's awesome, man. He's he's one of my favorite members of the Fab Five. 
And that's just the Detroit in him, man. He was just like, whatever, dude. I'm about to steal Patrick Ewan's TV. Yeah, Jalen Rose was my favorite member of the Fab Five. Like, I love that dude. Like, even now to hear him on Jalen and Jacoby, he's hilarious. And I, Chris, have you not? I don't. I don't think Chris has read the book. The book is awesome. I haven't read it yet. Oh, the, the book is awesome. Yeah, it's great, man. Tells all. I did read Mitch Album's Fab Five book, though. That's a great book. Oh yeah, yeah. I gotta read that one for sure. He did talk about That's Kobe's eighty-one point game. Yeah, huh? when he lit Toronto up. Jalen Rose was on that talks rap. About our area. Talks about what area? Stanton? Yeah. Womp womp. Seriously. There was a kid from our area that was supposed to be the fifth member of the Fab Five, but he went to UVA. But then he went to be a Spurs, so you can't hate on him. Who was that? Corey Alexander. Okay. He's all right. He's all right. But I think they did they did all right with Ray Jackson. Yeah, yeah. They did all right, man. We're getting ready to move into our next segment, which is what we're reading and what we're listening to. In this segment, we like to share resources with our listeners just to give them some resources that they may be interested in reading or listening to. So I'll start with my man, Jay Hart, man. What are you reading and what are you listening to, sir? Um, well, I'll go with I missed this a couple of weeks ago, you know, when I was out on the beach suntanning um, and my man C. Lass brought by Lecrae's book, Unashamed. Um, I think I read that in maybe two days, day and a half. Um, And just, it gave me a greater appreciation for what he's going through. It gave me a greater appreciation for how his albums are set up. Um, and the, the backdrop behind those, um, it really kind of gives you an inside look into the world of Lecrae and I appreciated the transparency. Uh, you know, I, I fully, fully see now in his music and the songs that he makes, um, where it's coming from now. So I appreciate that as far as what I'm listening to, um, still bumping that Derek minor EP 1014. Um, Love that dude. Still bumping it. D minor. C last. What you got for us, scholar? Bob Jones scholar. <laughs> Yo, I was trying to think. Um, what have I been reading? Uh, I was preparing for a talk, so everything was a lot of commentaries on Galatians chapter two. I was doing something with um, race relations and just how it's a gospel issue and just talking about um, Paul's necessary confrontation of Peter. Um, but so that was taking up a lot of the time, but I've also was reading and trying to finish up that Tony Evans book and um, oneness embrace, which is just a great book. And what am I listening to my man, Andrew Russell, who is uh, from the Bahamas and now um, finished up at Redeemer and now is, in D.C., actually, um, as a worship leader, released a little five-song project called I Am That I Am. Uh, it's very eclectic musically, but it's a worship album. It's got some Caribbean rhythms on it. It's got a song called um, One One People. And it just the heart of it is that, <coughs> excuse me, the gospel makes us one people. I love that song. He's got a song called Our Father 
which is a song that just talks about prayer. And he's got a song um, for all the girls, which is a really good song, too. So great little project. I really like it a lot. Um, he's a great dude beyond that. Actually, the second year I went to Legacy all by myself, he was there representing Redeemer Seminary. And he and I spent a lot of time together. His wife's from Stanton. Um, they met in college. So we were we had a reason to be close. And we always get together whenever he's in town. So great project. I love it. Yo, these cats be acting like everybody from Stanton. <laughs> like, like they have a causal connection to Stanton, Virginia. That's great, man. All right. So listen, my my list is is pretty short. Okay. I have one book that I've I've been reading, and it's been a small booklet, but it's been pretty good. And that's Mark Dever's Understanding the Great Commission, which is really cool. Takes that twenty Matthew 28 passage, 18 through 20, and just unpacks it for the local church and talks about local church's function in that. And one of the things I appreciated about the book was he talked about um, how some churches treat um, that passage like a DMV center. So basically giving people's license through baptism without calling them to any type of discipleship. So talked about DMV Christians, and I thought that was a really good analogy for what a lot of churches do without moving towards the teaching discipleship component of that particular text. Um, just getting them to baptism, getting them licensed per se, and letting them drive on their own. So uh, that's been that's been something that I've been reflecting on for sure. And then listening to uh, Elevation Worship, I've been re listening to this song on repeat. It's called Resurrecting. And it's just really gospel saturated and, and Christ centered, talking about Christ as the resurrection. And it's been something that's been feeding my soul. So uh, pray that that blesses our listeners as well. All right, man, any closing shout outs? And you can't say Stanton. Well, what should I say if I'm not saying Stanton? Shout out to my <laughs> kids, man. Um, I had to come home with my kids probably um, probably about a month ago now and just say, you know, like, you know, the like as my role as a father, like I need to make worship of God central in our home. And so we've been doing some steps to like um, just like kind of pick up where I've fallen off and they've kind of fallen in line. So we've been trying to go through something in the Bible together. We're looking at Old Testament stories that are a picture of the gospel together. And we've been taking prayer walks as a family through our neighborhood and meeting a lot of our neighbors. That stuff's been really cool. Um, but our kids have really been on board with it and they haven't made it really difficult for me to step back into that role. So shout out to them. They are a lot of fun. My kids are super funny. One day I'll bring them on the podcast. Y'all get super weak. Nice. <laughs> nice. We need that in our lives. Oh, oh, shout out to my wife. 15 years of marriage this week, last week. Well, so. almost was on the couch. Almost. I was almost. close to the couch, bro. Yes, sir. 15 years, man. That's great. Congratulations, sir. Aspire to get there. Hey, shout out to Michael Phelps, who just won his 22nd individual gold medal just now. GOAT. That's called GOAT. Hey, man, shout out to the YMCA. Inside joke. All right. That is. Shout out to the gymnasts who wear their hair how they want. Oh, no. With edges. Yes. We're going to leave that alone at the end of this episode. All right.
All right, that's been episode 14 of the Boxing One Podcast. Thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate discussing Christ sports and culture with you weekly. We love it. We love it. We love it. We ask that you will uh, follow us on Twitter at Boxing One Podcast. Go rate and review our podcast and iTunes if you listen. And uh, just just know that we really appreciate you guys for tuning in and helping us to reflect on all things culture and sports through the lens of the gospel all right until next week we'll see y'all later peace out